What's going on, everyone? This will be episode 75 of the Strength and Success Show. Riley will hop on here in a second and send a turn request. We'll pop her in here for 75, which is going to be OQP. Not to be confused with OPP, but this is OQP. There's, <laughs> there's Riley. Just wait for the request to join. Pop through. There we go. So jump through in a second. You can ask questions on the live recording. We're going to go over the topic real quick, and then we have questions that people have sent us in our store Q&As every week. There is Riley. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you very much for joining me today. As always, uh, I know I just common courtesy I say that every week, regardless. <laughs> you had a uh, a vet appointment this morning, not for you, <laughs> but for the dog. I would hope you see a real doctor. <laughs> uh, you're, you're lucky if I see a doctor. I'm a I'm one of the people that are nervous about doctors. When I was younger, um, my mom used to have to give me downers to go to the dentist because if I didn't, I would have an hysterical fit. Uh, so I don't like doctors capacity all that much. They make me nervous, but yeah. Uh, Sophie had a bed appointment this morning just to get, she got spayed uh, like a week and a half ago. So it's like a checkup appointment to make sure that her stitches are healing correctly and all that stuff and that she's good. And uh, she's all good to go. So she doesn't have to wear her onesie anymore. How to know when your mom's a progressive hippie, she gives you downers to go to the doctor. <laughs> uh, I don't, my mom's not really a hippie. I don't, I wouldn't say she's Not a like hippie. 70s hippie, just a little bit more mellow, relaxed, yeah. Yeah, well, she probably, that way she wouldn't have to fucking deal with me. She's very type <laughs> A. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I'm glad Sophie's okay. OQP. This is an interesting topic. And as we said before, we have questions that people have sent us from our stories. Riley generally posts her Q&As every Tuesday. I post my Q&A every Wednesday usually. Uh, sometimes I'll throw a bonus one out on Sundays just for fun because I get bored. And uh, we, you'll take some of the questions from there. So if we didn't answer your question in there, we might be answering here on the podcast. So make sure you download, share, and pay attention. Podcast is always brought to you by Culture Nutra. I was at the end. I should really learn to do that up front. So podcast by Culture Nutra. OQP is an acronym for only quality people. And I like this. It relates to when I was younger, I read a book called From Good to Great from Jim Collins. This is the book where the quote comes from the enemy of good, I'm sorry, the enemy of great is good. And he goes over all these companies that were large scale companies that became massive companies based off this formula of putting the right people in the system. The entire first two chapters are dedicated to understanding your goals and your visions and a plan to get there. And the second chapter is completely who is on your team and he uses the reference of a bus. Uh, which is very tedious and boring. It always makes you think of the magic school bus. But for some reason, he uses this reference of a bus of putting the right people, who's your driver, who's your navigator, you know, all these things. And then he goes over these companies like Gillette and how they took over the shaving market and stuff like that. He goes through all these systems and formats about making sure that you have the right people on your team and that you have only quality people because he talks about when you put the wrong parts in place, how that slows down your progression and your timeline and takes away from what you want to personally achieve because you're dealing with them instead of your vision, your goal. And they should be there to, I'm not saying take advantage of them, but they should be there to help coincide with that. They should have the same vision, the same journey. So as it relates to us in, in spring sports and powerlifting, you know, if you have that, that your type personality in the gym, that's always very, very down when they're there, always negative Nancy and never wants to work out of training is bitching about their lives. It's going to take away from your progress because you're absorbing that energy from them. Or if you're always relying on having that safety net in your life instead of actually taking the chance and the risk on something that could be great because you feel safe, you're not going to get very far. You're settled for good instead of working towards great. Working towards great is going to require some sacrifice. It's going to require some feel, uh, fear. It's going to require letting go. You know, life ultimately is a risk. And the more risks we take, the more reward we have. But the caveat of that is obviously the more risks we take, there is more chance for loss. That's, that's what the difference is between good and great. Everybody's capable, but not everybody's willing. So only quality people starts to look at who is your, and we always talk about this, but we, who is your five? You know, who are the five people that are most important to your vision, to your goal, who are going to help facilitate your best to bring the best out of you and vice versa, you want to bring the best out of them. If you haven't like put together your plan of who the five people are who can help you achieve your goal, you're probably not working towards that goal. You're dreaming it and wishing it. There's going to be some time where you have to prioritize certain people within your life that are prioritizing you as well. And it's, it's, it's something that you have to look at because everybody has a goal. The difference between the winners and losers and the achievers and the not isn't the goal. Everybody's got a goal. 
it's who's willing to do the work, who's willing to do the activities, who's willing to build that schedule. Focusing on the goal is the wrong vision because we all got one. Focusing on the activities is the, is the right one. So if you have that person in your life who's like, hey, let's be accountable to each other. Let's make sure we're tracking macros together and I'll report my weight to you and you report your weight to me and we'll talk about our meals. Or, or hey, let's do this together in the gym. Let's make sure we could probably walk together every night to enhance our recovery. These are the kind of people you want to start stacking in your life because they're going to help you get there. That is your team. That is your five. And that is how you get to great and get away from good because as the book says, good is the enemy of great. So find your quality people and those are the people you give your most energy to, only quality people. So when I saw this, my immediate first thought with OQP was PDQ. Um, so <laughs> people dedicated to quality. You know, I thought of food, but realistically, their acronym is similar. You know, yeah. whatever. Always about quality. But um, yeah, so this is something that I have been working on is like making sure that the people that around me are actually benefiting uh not benefiting is not the right word um i am a strong people pleaser and i am very uh self comes to other people their emotions their moods everything like i will i will put myself i will set myself on fire so that way everyone else can be warm kind of person so that's something i've been working on and it's important for me that i have people around me that Try not to take advantage of that. Um, I I get really worn down by people and what they have going on, how they react to me or how they treat me or um, anything like that. Like I'm just very, very sensitive and empathetic towards other people that I have to make sure that I am consistently surrounding myself with people who are not trying to take from my cup or you know not trying to spill my cup over or whatever whatever analogy you want to use. So I have to make sure that I specifically am like, okay, this person is a drain on me. This person is making me feel anxious. This is, I'm feeling bad. Uh, I need to, I need to put some sort of there. So it is incredibly important. And I've had a couple, I've had a couple conversations with people, with clients specifically. They're like, I'm feeling so drained. And you know, like I, I'm struggling to get my workouts. I can't compartmentalize this week, uh, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we've had conversations about like their support systems and whatnot to the point where like I, that is now in my questionnaire. Like uh, whether you're filling out powerlifting or nutrition questionnaire, one of the questions is, is like, do you feel supported in your goals? Do you feel, do you have a support system? Like that is a new question that I've just recently put in um, to both of them because it is important. And if you don't have those quality people, if you don't have those people that are, you know, they're not, not saying that they have to sacrifice themselves or their, uh, their own feelings to like make yours feel better, but they should also be aware of like, this is important to you. These are things that you need to work on. These are things that you need to do, blah, blah, et cetera, et cetera, um, in order to improve. So that is something that I, can't really stress enough that is important and you know powerlifting is an individual sport when you're on the platform but so many of us have training partners um and so many of us have like nutrition accountability buddies and whatever it, it may be um to keep us on track for our goals so while you may individually um you didn't get there alone so with powerlifting you really really need to make sure that even if it's not five people even if it's only three people um you need to make sure that those people that you have around you are consistently adding to your cup or helping you refill your cup um you can kind of always like lean on you know your friends are there to kind of like lean on when you're, when you're struggling or having a hard time or um whatever so just being open and honest about like I'm really, I'm really hitting a wall here. I need some help. I need some accountability. I need someone to push me through. I need, you know, like someone check on me every single day. Like I think Melissa has a, uh, an alarm in her phone for me for like different various things to say like, okay, remind Riley to do X, Y, Z. And so that's really helpful for me because I do be forgetting lots of things. Uh, I have, have uh, I have lots of things that are, that are going on in my brain and lots of different, uh, I run in a lot of different directions and I do a lot of things and I am, I work from home, but I feel like I am never. <laughs> so um, I feel like I'm never stationary for too long. So having like Melissa be my accountability buddy for specific things is really, really helpful to me. Um, 
just having that like little bit of support of like, yes, someone else wants to see me win. Someone else is reminding me of the things that I need to do in order to achieve my goals. So it is, uh, OQP is very, very important, much like PDQ. <laughs> Chicken tenders are the most important. Yes. <laughs> Especially there is that, that honey barbecue sauce gets me. Damn it. PDQ. Oh. I'm going to be thinking about chicken tennis all the rest of the day. Thanks, Riley. Thanks for being my quality person. <laughs> all right. So we've touched on that. And that's really, really important to make sure you, you have the right, Riley referred to as a supporting team, support structure. I always talk about as accountability and making sure that people are in the same direction as you. Uh, it's a hard look. Eliminating people from your life is a very hard look. And it's a very hard thing to do when you don't think that people are supporting your vision, your goals, or like Riley said, taking from your cup instead of giving to your cup. So you want to make sure that you have, it doesn't mean you have to completely eliminate them. Don't get me wrong, but maybe you minimize how much exposure or time you give them and the people you really look forward to seeing or want to see, you see them more or spend more time with them or talk to them more often or something like that. Uh, there's a couple questions here that people have jumped into and since Riley is, is starting to do the nutrition, this one woman has said something, but not much over two things. She's in a plateau. She says, I'm fasting, I'm tracking macros, but I can't budge. No coach has broken it. And then she put, I put in the work. How do I break that plateau? Don't get me wrong. I feel great though. Yes, I have muscle. I can't lose a dime. I'm a powerful environment. Um, before Riley jumps into that, it's really difficult to answer a question like that because we have no idea what you're doing. But if you've had a significant plateau, that probably means you've been dieting for a very long time as well. And you probably actually need to reverse diet back up a little bit and take a little bit of a surplus for time because the longer you diet, the more acclimated your body gets to dieting and starts to actually slow its metabolic processes down because you spent so much time in a deficit. It will think that it's starving over time and slow down your metabolic rate. You might just need a little bit of a diet break or a maintenance phase to calm the fuck down. But I'll let Riley go into that <laughs> and answer a little bit more detail. So the, the answer here is multifactoral, right? Uh, what Trevor mentions is correct. Like you may need a diet break. If you have been consistently in a deficit for an extended period of time, your body is going to hit a natural adaptation phase. Same thing that happens when you're trying to gain weight or when you're recomping or when you're losing weight, like you, you hit an adaptation phase because if, if your body never adapted and you were cutting all the time, you would literally just wither away into nothing and die eventually, you know? So your body will have to adapt to the energy that you're that you're putting into your body like the calories that you're putting into your body um so one of the answers here could possibly be taking a diet break that could be for a week that could be for two weeks it that's hard to say um you'll start to notice initially that the scale will go up there um you'll gain some like water retention some blow and the scale will go up but as long as you allow your body to go through a week or two weeks of that slight surplus. So that way it can hit that same adaptation phase and be like, okay, this is the new norm. Now these are the calories that we take in every single day. Then you can kind of go back and start to slowly create, uh, take out the calories and slowly go back into a deficit again. So that way you can break that plateau. But I know reverse diets and, uh, diet breaks can be kind of scary because that scale does go up and you're like, I just, I, I'm, I'm already plateaued and now I'm gaining weight again. Like that's scary, but you have to be able to break the adaptation phase with a small diet break. Also now I, I don't know your situation. I don't know anything about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, but as far as nutrition goes, the other things that we, we look at all forms of biofeedback and that's not just going to be the calories that you're taking in or even just your training sessions. Like this is going to be your stress your sleep habits, how many hours a uh, day you sleep, your um, your step count. This is going to be lots of different things. Um, your activity level may need to change when you're calculating your macros. Like if you think that you're highly, highly active, but you're only working out three to four times a week for an hour, you're not highly, highly active. And it's really unrealistic that power lifters would say that they are a highly active individual. Most of us don't break a sweat <laughs> because most of us don't like to go above five or six reps. Um, Trust me, I hear it all the time. Oh, I have eights. Oh, I have tens. Yeah, they're hard. I know. Whatever. Get over it. Um, but it like it's very unlikely. There's a scale as far as energy, as far as like calorie output goes in your activity level. And most people think that they're towards the 1.9 end. Most of us are actually towards the 1.2 end, which the 1.2 would be more towards sedentary, even if you're working out four times a week. It's just not, you're not running marathons. You're not expending that much energy as you think you are. Um, so adjusting your activity level is probably important tracking things like your sleep your step count your stress 
monitoring all those things are also things that like I'm looking into as far for like the clients that I'm going to be working with. I just started this week, so I haven't actually gotten too much feedback from people, but that's like, those are my, those are my sheets, right? Like when I sign up a new client for nutrition, they get an approved foods list. They get a biofeedback sheet, which includes like how many hours of sleep did you get? Uh, how restful was it? How many steps did you do? How did your workouts feel? How was your energy levels? Like all of these things are also going to go into how many calories I give them. It's not just me being like, all right, here you go. Here's 150 grams of protein and 200 grams of carbs and 50 grams of fat. Do whatever you want with it. That's not how it goes because that's not the only things that are going to affect it. Much like training, you know, if we get stressed out and we can't focus in the gym, everything's going to suck. Everything's going to be hard. If you get stressed out, you're going to uh, raise your cortisol. You're going to hold water. So it's like, you can't just say like, I'm hitting my macros and everything, nothing's changing. Are you doing anything outside of your macros to manage your stress? Are you doing anything outside of your macros, hitting your macros to elicit a change? So really looking hard at those other things and like being honest with yourself about how you're doing those things is really, really important. Also the quality of your food does kind of matter. Uh, the more fried food you eat, the more water you're gonna hold. Um, if you're not hydrating, you're not going to let, you're not going to release any water and you're just going to continue holding water. If you're drinking alcohol, that's the same, basically the same amount of carb content at, or it's the same amount of calories as like carbs have essentially, or it's a seven, 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 per, seven per gram. Um, so it's even more than that. It's somewhere it, in between. It's used like a carbohydrate first. Your body will actually prioritize burning off the alcohol before it will burn anything else off. Yep. So if you're drinking couple nights a week that that's going to also and you're not tracking when to increase your calories so be honest with yourself about where you're actually at you can say that you've hit a plateau but it's like it's really really hard to hit a plateau if you are not if you're doing all the things that you need to be doing and making all the necessary changes it's really really hard to hit a plateau yeah and you, you brought up a good point about the overestimation of lifestyle you know powerlifters and strongman someone the powerlifter will look at five by five and be like, oh man, the volume and five by five is 25 reps. And the bodybuilders will look at 25 reps and be like, all right, that's set one. I've got 15 more to go. <laughs> it's a very different energy expenditure. So just because like you said, you're in the gym four days a week, that means you're really working that hard. But I digress. All right. Yeah. So Kyle, Barbell Viking has asked a, a good question here. Uh, Kyle has ventured into the world of teaching things and he's learned that when you teach things, people expect you to answer those questions all the time. Uh, so basically, he says, how do the two of you balance your drive to help those around you while prioritizing your own training? I struggle as I look too often for feedback and spotting in my gym, but there are some days I need to work with my head down. I feel bad for it, and that is not who I am. I'm trying to find a better way to balance. Okay. First and foremost, both Riley and I own our time when it's training time. We usually train earlier in the day and not with the groups in the evening for that reason, because when people know you're a coach or know you're going to do things, they're not going to think anything of asking you for your opinion or for, your, for you to watch their set the whole time. They're not understanding that that is your time. They're thinking, wow, I have this great opportunity. Look who's here. Let me get some help. If you value your time, you have to be willing to say, this is my time. I'll be glad to help you when I'm done with my main work or when I'm done with my workout. But right now, this is my time. If you aren't owning your time, they're not going to appreciate it either. They're just going to take advantage of it and that's going to frustrate you. You're going to want to switch gyms, do things or not train because of it. So there's a polite way of saying, hey, this is my time. I need to get these things done. I'll answer any question you want or you can even call me later and I'll talk to you. But right now, this is my time. You have to own your time if you want it to count because every distraction you have is taking away from your ability to put, like Riley said, the intention and the effort you want into your workouts because you're filling their cup and not yours. And if they're not clients of yours or paying for that time, then you're basically volunteering that to them and you're not even appreciating or valuing your own time either. You're not gonna get much from it. So lay that hard line down and say, I will help you after. After I'm done, I'm here for you. But right now, me first. Yeah, 100% um, that. Like I have a couple of clients who are current and in the past who have trained at the gym that I train at Treasure Coast Barbell and when you know when they send me their info sheet they're like oh I train at Treasure Coast also so you know you know what I have access to whenever it comes to that point where I'm like I take that person on as a client I let them know hey if I'm in the gym training I am not your coach at that time if we are training at the same time 
that's fine. Obviously, I'm not going to be like, you can't be in the gym when I'm here. I'm not going to say that. It's stupid. Um, but like, I let them know, like, hey, if you see me and I'm training, that is my time. If you have a very quick question to ask me, sure. Like, you know, which bar is this or how much this is bar weight, something like that. But I am not there at that time to watch your form, watch your technique, babysit you, hold your hand. So whenever I have sent those clients, like whenever I have started those clients, that's what I say. I'm like, you know, that's, we can be cordial in the gym, but like, that's my me time, especially because like, like I was just in prep recently and like I have two meets a year. So that's going to be like a consistent, that's a consistent thing for me. Like there are times where I really need to be really, where I want to be really, really focused and I don't want to have to necessarily step away from my top set for 30 minutes and then get cold. I just don't do that. Um, and I haven't had anyone like push back or shove back or tell me that they, that, that that's not okay. And if they did tell me that's not okay, then it's okay that they're not my client anymore. Yeah. That's basically how it goes. Like you have to respect my time as much as I respect your time. Um, so, you know, I'll let those clients know, like if you ever want me to work with you in person, because you do go to the same gym, you just have to let me know and we can schedule it ahead of time. And that will be something that is different from my normal training time. Like, there's only two times that I will train in a day and it's either 11 a.m. or like 5 p.m. And so if I have a client who is like, oh, I want a one-on-one -on -one session, I'm not going to make that one-on-one -on -one session at 11 or at 5 when that's normally my training time. They might get like two or something like that. Or maybe I'll come in on like my rest day or something. But I am not, I sacrificed enough of my training time to pay attention to other people. I don't want to do it anymore. Um, because it frustrates me when I'm not doing very, very well. And then it like kind of that kind of like, seeps into everything else for me. Like it, it, I get frustrated with everything when I'm not doing well. So I just made that very, very clear up front. Um, that like, if you have questions to ask, please do it not during my training time. Um, even if it's like online clients, I don't from like 11 to one is generally when I'm busy with like training, I won't answer questions from 11 to one. And I make that pretty well known. Um, and I stick to that for the clients that are online and they know that if they message me between that time that I'm probably not going to get back to them until later. So it's really important as the athlete that you are asking questions for your, from your coach ahead of time. Um, if I sent you your program on Saturday and it's Tuesday and you're like, Hey, my gym doesn't have this. What can I sub it for? You had three days to ask me this question. You had three days to ask me this question. And you also knew for three days that your gym didn't have that bar. So if you message me at 12 o'clock and you ask that question while I'm training, I'm not going to answer it because I'm training. Like I literally, I don't even open my messages app for the most part when I'm training. I will record my video. I will stop my video. I'll put my phone down. Uh, you know, of course that, that doesn't always go that way. And, you know, we check our phones and our emails and whatever every once in a while, but I try to make the point not to do that. So as an athlete, ask questions ahead of time. Be prepared when you go into your session. You know, we send it to you before you start your week. So that way, if you do have any questions, you can look it over and be like, I don't understand this. I can't do this, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. That's why you have the extra time. But as the coach or as the teacher, you have to set office hours for yourself. Uh, it's no different than any other type of teacher. It's no different than going to, you know, high school, uh, high school and like looking at the teachers that they, you know, they have office hours of like from three to five, I'm busy. And, but from like noon to three, I'm open, you know, like set those for yourself. Just tell them up front ahead of time. That way they have no, they cannot, they cannot be mad at you because you set that boundary and you set that expectation from the start. Boundaries, uh, quality people. That, that's what it comes to. You know, you're being a quality person by respecting yourself for still offering them help, but at, at a different time, you know, and you're not being unquality by saying, Hey, I can never help you or don't bother me lifting or whatever. You just say, you know, this is my time. Show that respect. This is my time, and they'll respect it. I think you're 100 right on that. Uh, I laugh when you, you talk about someone who gets a program on Saturday, and then Tuesday they're in the gym, like, "Hey, I'm in the gym," because it kind of makes me think of sometimes when you have somebody who has a movement for like four weeks, and then four weeks later they're like, "Hey, blah blah blah, I just want to check." And it's like, "You've had this for four weeks. Why are you checking week four? What have you been doing the first three weeks?" <laughs> it throws me off. I'm like, "Wait a minute, did you even do it?" <laughs> uh, Jeff Frank. Um, the deepest multiply squad I've ever seen in my life. I love Jeff, and he's also a fantastic photographer. If you ever had a meet, uh, he captures some really cool moments. But being selfish isn't a bad thing that others may make it seem. Allows you to give more of you. I love it. And and Jeff is is a very big positive thinker. He's always talking about winners win, and just uh, he uses the word teammate a lot. You know, he comes from the SBC club, Strong Barbell Club, and they have that unity in that team. That's what drives a lot of people. So that's what we talk about having quality people around you and thriving off of that. For those of you who aren't aware, like someone like Hunter Henderson trains in that gym, and that's part of what helped make her make her 
besides her work ethic is that team and unity and culture drives people. So find your crew and your quality people and your support crew, and they're going to help drive you and everyone else beyond that even further. So thanks. Thanks, Jeff, for tuning in. I appreciate that. And also, if you guys are in that area, find out from Jeff, because he does great photography for me. He's also a huge mental uh, health advocate. And I actually just, just saw that he released a shirt, too. It has a disco ball on it. Um, I can't remember exactly what the saying is, so forgive me. But um, I always, I love that more people are being more open about mental health, speaking on it, doing what they can to raise money for it, um, doing what they can to destigmatize it. So I appreciate what you are doing for that, too, Jeff. I will have to check that out. Uh, all right, what's our next question? Okay, um, how to keep glutes down more efficiently on the bench? Stop hip extending, start knee extending. Uh, I have a video on this. It's been passed around a lot. Um, it, the common misconception with leg drive is people push their butt up to try and launch the bar upwards. And the trajectory we want is not to drive up, it's to drive back. And that's coming from contracting your quads not contracting your glutes. People tend to hip extend, contract the glutes, and they push their butt up off the bench. You want to learn how to leg extend or knee extension, which is driving from the quads, and push yourself back. The weight is going to hold you onto that pad. Ideally, you're thinking of trying to push your body up the bench. It won't go anywhere because you have weight in your hands. Obviously, you can't do this until you have significant weight in your hands. But when you leg drive back, you're putting force into the bar to travel back in that arc that a raw bench has. You don't see a lot of multiply driver uh, lifters use a lot of leg drive back. They'll use more of leg drive for stability because they're stabilizing astronomical weights and pulling the shirt down. But for raw lifting, you want to push through the quads, not push through the hips. So if your hips are popping up, you have your leg drive wrong. You're hip extending instead of leg extending. And one thing you can do as a fix is widen your legs or turn your feet all the way out, which actually limits your in-range hip extension because if you can't kick that habit, of eliminating hip extension, limit how far they can go so your ass can stay in contact with the seat. So you can turn your feet all the way out and you'll notice you can't pop your butt anywhere near this far. Yeah, I, um, uh, I, I've noticed that this seems to kind of click better. These two specific cues kind of seem to click better for people uh, depending on whether their heels up or feet flat. When, like Trevor mentioned, when you have heels up instead of shooting your hips straight up towards the ceiling that's not leg drive like he's mentioning at all pushing your knees down towards the floor is always the cue that i tried to give with people that are feet flat um i always one remind them that like hey if someone were to walk by you and push on your legs they shouldn't move like you should always be actively driving your knees out and open so that way you have tension there because then if you already have tension in your legs when you go to reverse all you really have to do is think about pushing through the front of your shoes like that's all you really have to do or just like driving your knees out a little bit further. I did have one client refer to it as kicking, like using the same motion as kicking um, with your feet flat on the ground. And like that does make sense because if you have your feet flat on the ground and you think about trying to kick, it will push you back. Uh, obviously don't lift your feet off the ground when you're benching, you know, but like the same motion of kind of like kicking like to where you would be, you know, pushing that feet forward, but just keeping your foot stationary was one that like made sense to me. And that one clicked in my head. So I've used that one for um, that one for a few other clients. And that made sense also. But it really does depend on if your heels are up or flat, depending on where you kind of need to push your energy. Um, but knees towards the ground is what always seems to help me and I'm a heels up venture. Yeah, I like that, that philosophy of kick. That's a great way of thinking about it because you're kicking forward and pushing back. So let's go. What's our next question? Um, does working out two times a day have any positive or negative effects? So there is a lot of research on this. It's very difficult for a lot of people to handle two-a-day trainings uh, because what happens when people try to start doing two-a-days is they start adding more and more volume to each session thinking, so because there is an anabolic signaling response, you increase muscle protein synthesis for 12 to 24, and in some cases, depending on the severity of it, 48 hours after each resistance training workout. So people think that if I train more frequently, or twice a day, I can increase muscle protein synthesis or anabolic signaling more often. And that is technically true. But we do reach a point of diminishing returns. So people who tend to break their sessions up in AM and PM need to for either scheduling purposes or they have an abundance of work they can't get in time. You see this often with Olympic weightlifters or weightlifters in general, where they have an AM and PM session and their heavier session is in the AM when they're fresh. And it's just basically their, their two main lifts and they stop 
we'll go eat, come back, recover, rest, whatever, and then they'll have session B, which is like their accessory work where they don't have to be as strong or as fresh, it's higher reps in the whole nine. But they didn't increase the volume of workload. They just split it into two sessions when they're their strongest and then they can come back later when they've eaten. They can put more emphasis into those accessory works because then they're not as depleted going into it. Uh, the majority of us don't have that luxury. This became very popular in the Bulgarian weightlifting system of the 70s because this is what they did. They would max out in the morning and then come back in the afternoon and either kind of max one of the competition lifts or do all their accessory work instead. And it was very productive. Now, granted, the Bulgarians were burning out within three years of doing this, and they were also using a heavy amount of drugs because the testing was very different back then. Most people can't do this. There was a system that came out for bodybuilders called Serious Growth, Leo Costa Jr., uh, believe it or not, Tom Platz used to be in the articles too. And they talked about uh, burst cycling Bulgarian method for bodybuilding. And they were 15 to 20 minute sessions where you would go all out on one movement for 15 to 20 minutes, take a break, eat, come back and do it again. It didn't take much in popularity because the methodology, me methodology didn't match the results. Um, it's very, very time consuming. It's very, very difficult. And because you're not adding in anything extra, you're just spacing it out. It tends to wear you out and burn you out. Most people I know don't want to go to the gym five, six days a week, twice a day, uh, unless they work there and they get paid to be there. <laughs> it's incredibly draining mentally to do this. So you don't see it very often. So while metabolically you can increase protein synthesis, just training hard in the first place, and you can even use intra-workout nutrition if you need to and take advantage of that muscle protein synthesis that's happening, it's going to be elevated anyway for the next day. Just change your habits to where you have four or five days of training or you're actively moving and eating and recovering well, it's not going to give you any enhanced benefits unless your goal was purely size. There's more benefits to hypertrophy doing this than there is to strength because in a strength program, your first and second exercise are your main drivers of strength. And after that, it's just accessory work. In a bodybuilding program, we know that the first and second exercise you start to get depleted after that, you probably can't put as much emphasis into exercise three, four, and five. So if you came back in the evening after eating, you could put more emphasis in there. It has a better correlation to size than it does to strength. My question to the two days would be like, what is your intention here? Um, you mentioned like the weightlifters, you know, doing their heavy work in like in the beginning of the day and then their um, other stuff at the end of the day. Um, and like when, when I was playing volleyball, I had two days. And those were separated into like mornings where the pool, did, like if we were in uh, off season and like not competing, our morning sessions were the pool and our, e our and I shouldn't say evening, but like late afternoon sessions were the track. So we, we would swim and we would tread water um, for however long they wanted us to. And then the track sessions were sprints, uh, long jogs, uh, I don't know what they call them now, but they were called suicides before. I know that they changed the name because that's obviously not a very, uh, yes. what is it? Gassers. Okay. Uh, so we had all those. Um, so that's different. Those were intentional for endurance. And those were also intentional for speed, agility, and all that kind of stuff. But if you are a power lifter and you're doing two days, what is your intention here? Um, like, what are you trying, what are you trying to prove? Um, like it's, a if you're just going in and doing a whole bunch of junk volume, like, you know, you're just like your first session of the day, you're like, all right, I did all my barbell compound movements and I did my lift builders, my muscle builders and whatnot. And then you're bored later and you decide you want to go back in because you're like, well, my upper back's kind of weak or I could use better biceps. So you go in and do a whole bunch more rows and like bicep curls. And it's like, I understand the thought process there, but is it really helping you? Because are you really ever actually recovering? Um, from anything if you're doing if you're just throwing random shit at the wall and hoping that it sticks so what is the what is the benefit and what is the intention of why you want to go back i know that some people will um i had a client this week who she went to go do her work or her uh, her workout and then her work actually called her and she had to leave after her main set of squats and like go deal with some work stuff she went back later that night and finished everything that's one thing that is, you know, prior engagement that happened that doesn't happen to her all the time. So she had to split it into a two a day like that. Um, but if you're just bored and you're like, well, I did my workout earlier today and I don't know what else to do today. So I just want to go in because I'm bored. Find something better to do. <laughs> um, because realistically, it's probably not going to benefit. It's not going to give you enough benefit to risk ratio of like what you're looking for as far as like going back and just doing random shit. Like you're just wasting your 
your time kind of. Um, so find something a little bit better to do. You know, this could be a time when you're like, decide to instead of flipping through Netflix and or doom scrolling on your phone, pick up a book. Um, or go for a walk, something like taking a walk in the evening is probably more beneficial to you as from a recovery standpoint as a power lifter than it would be going in and like doing bicep curls and lat pull downs or whatever. If you wanted to go in and do like sled pulls and pushes and walk like, you know, farmer's carries or whatever, sure, that probably would benefit you more than just doing random stuff that you probably don't need. If you're training with intention through your main training session you don't need that second one if you feel like you need that second one you're probably not pushing yourself hard enough in that first one yeah i i, I agree and these are also the same people who tell you they have no time to like meal prep <laughs> you can be meal prepping during that time it's gonna be way more beneficial for you <laughs> yes what's our next question uh, do you have a pre-lift warm-up routine or do you just use the empty bar i wake up and piss excellence i don't need the warm-up at all i'm just ready to go at all times not even the caffeine helps. Um, this was one of the ones that came through, and this is one that's, that's often discussed and argued and debated. And I, I stay out of these. I don't like arguing things online. I think it's an absolute monumental waste of time because it's a circle jerk. The same people who are going to click like on you are the same people who have the same opinion of you. You're not changing anyone's mind or doing things. The question is, should you have a pre-workout like warm-up routine? And literally... The science will show you the literature that's available. You're going to have the same benefit whether you do this pre-workout routine or if you just warm up with lighter sets of the bar. Now, of course, the caveat to this is this is often done on a populace of 19 to 21 year olds, well-trained college kids. I was once there. And at that time, I only warmed up with the bar. I'm no longer there. And I find that I feel and move better if I use a little bit more of a joint specific or priming or some type of movement specific warm up that allows me to open up a little bit more looser before I get to the bar. Now, granted, I will use the empty bar to test what feels tight or restricted and work on that specifically. But I find I benefit from doing some type of warm routine, not just for the actual sake of warming up. It gets my mind into the workout and where I need to be other than just walking into the off the street and getting right to the bar. I can let go of my problems. I can spend 10 minutes doing that. And that's the other caveat I have is if it takes you longer than 10 minutes to get onto the bar and start moving, you're doing the wrong movements. So I don't care if you take 10 minutes warming up at the bar or 10 minutes warming up with movement-specific workouts. Whatever it is, just do something to get you warm because a warmer muscle is going to produce more force than a cold muscle. You don't want to jump into a heavy weight. And someone's arguing with this like, well, well, Dan Bell warms up with 315. Dan Bell squats 1,100 and sleeps. 315 is 20% for him. You don't, you don't squat 1,100 in sleeves. You squat 500 in sleeves, so 20% for you is 95 pounds. <laughs> if you want to start there, by all means, go for it. But do something to get your body moving and prime to get your mind into the workout. There's always a gray area, even though the literature says it's not effective, any more effective. It's not any worse either. So if you enjoy it, do it. If it's going to put you in the right place, do it. Is there one specific warm-up that's better than others? No. Your needs are going to be different than my needs and vice versa. Yeah, this is what daily warm-ups are generally going to be athletes like if i write a daily warm-up like majority of thing, majority of people have kind of the same areas of opportunity um just based off of how we exist in society like most of us all have bad posture <laughs> most of us all have rounded internally rotated shoulders um, most of us don't have like good core control or strength or anything like that um hips seem to be a big problem for most people so like yeah we all have the same issues but generally your daily warm-ups are going to be a little bit more catered to what are beneficial for you um so just like throwing blanketed ones aren't going to help you but i i agree here i don't understand necessarily why things are cast aside the way that they are like if you're someone who likes to start with just foam rolling and then you feel good enough to lift go for it if you're someone who just starts with an empty barbell and you just load from there and you do nothing other than really walk in and set your gym bag down and you start go for it if you're someone who likes to do four or five mobility movements or like a like a yoga flow or a, like a uh, mobility wad or whatever it is go for it if you like to um have the um was it mashing with like the big rollers and stuff if you like to do those things and that's what make you feel good before you lift then like do it who cares i don't know that you're the one that's lifting you're the one that's supposed to feel good um yeah. body 
body tempering, mashing, same thing, whatever. Uh, for some reason that like wasn't clicking in my brain. Um, so, you know, for me, I will walk in and like whatever I'm doing, if I'm squatting that day, I'll walk in and I'll get my bar set how I want to. And I will do a squat with just the barbell to see like, wow, my ankles feel like shit today. Or my, uh, my low back feels like it's already on fire or something, you know, like whatever it is, like I will use that empty bar to like Trevor said, tell me what it is that I need to probably warm up. Um, he writes me like warm ups, like for things that I'm specifically terrible at, which generally is opening up. <laughs> <best. laughs> Not my words. <laughs> when you were going over into the rotator strollers and petting them with their hips, I'm like, she's not talking about me. <laughs> I'm aware of my areas of opportunity. <laughs> it's a good thing you have quality people in your life. <laughs> I'm very self-aware, unfortunately. Um, but it, uh, you know, like I will, I will do my warm ups that he has listed. If there's not, if there's not really any like overarching issues for me when I walk in and get underneath the barbell. I'll do the warm ups that he wrote for me. But if I get under the barbell and I'm I'm looking at these warm ups and I'm like, you know, these don't necessarily feel like it's going to hit the areas that I need that day. I will adjust my warm ups to what areas it feels like I need that day. So, you know, when you're thinking about giving people a hard time for doing what it is that makes them feel good before lifting don't <laughs> just let them exist uh it's not affecting your workout it's not affecting you in any capacity if they want to do i don't know if they want to roll all around on the ground first because they're like you know what? this makes you feel really mobile go for it man good for you the ultimate sign of insecurity when people do this they argue this they're arguing semantics literally arguing semantics look like the smarter person in the room to get more attention. And it's the ultimate sign of insecurity to try and grandstand off of something. Like it doesn't matter the grand scheme of things. If it's not any worse, it's not any better. Why are you arguing? It's the same result regardless. So let someone do what they want to do. If it's the same result. Now, if you can show me that it was deleterious to your performance, I'm going to agree. For instance, like long static stretching initially is going to reduce force production and power. If you held stretches for 60 to 90 seconds before you on a prime mover, before you lift it. Now, that's initially. Those are short-term studies. You see a lot of the Asian weightlifters and, and Russian weightlifters who do long-term static stretching before they lift. It's not to reduce injury. It's to increase the muscle length of mobility for them because they work on certain extreme ranges of motion to catch them. And they've conditioned to that response, and it's no longer hampering their, their force production or their strength because they've conditioned to it. When something is a novel new stimulus, yeah, it's going to have an effect on you. If it's a long-term stimulus, you're going to have the law of accommodation, and you're going to adapt to it. And people only see the short-term or the abstract of a study that will argue until the cows come home for this to grandstand online to look like the smartest person in the room. I don't care. And if you want a great example of that, um, if somebody has an issue where a physical therapist determines that their glute meat is weak and gives them a glute meat activation, someone's going to go, oh, glute meat activation is bullshit. If somebody has a weak adductor and they get Copenhagen planks to strengthen their adductor and the word used was strength, they're like, oh, yeah, those are great. So if you use activation, you're bullshit. If you use strength, it's great. Both tasks accomplish the same thing. They're both hitting a specific muscle to make it more functional and stronger. The semantics is different. Activation versus using the word strength. But people will go crazy if you use the word activation. In semantics, when it comes to what other people are doing, when you think that you have something constructive to add and it's just you being an asshole, just shut your ass up. <laughs> Agreed. All right, what's our next question? Okay, um, advice when looking for a coach, questions to ask, things to look for, etc. This was a good question. Um, I actually took the time to answer it personally for her. And I, I mentioned to her, you know, what is it you want from that coach is more important. Because she was at, she considered herself to be more of like the novice low level, relatively new. She's only been competing less than a year. I'm like, what are you looking for from that coach? That's what you have to identify. Are you looking for someone who's just going to write you a quality program? Or are you looking for someone who's going to give you a lot of feedback on your form and help with the way you move and movement efficiency? Are you looking for accountability? Are you looking for a localized team, like network of people? Some people have more of a team effect of their coaching and they, they work mostly in person and everybody's able to get together and that's where they thrive. So I told her to first identify what it is you want from that coach. And then make sure that you've narrowed your list down to the people who you feel fit that 
Don't just hire someone because they have a, a good pedigree or good history or they work with a certain athlete. Make sure they're going to fit your mold, not the other way around, because you're the one hiring them for that service. You want to make sure that you communicate with them well, you get, you're getting what you want from them well, and that you're able to sustain that. Because I've seen a lot of people, myself included, I'm not the best fit for some people. doesn't matter what I've accomplished. They need something more. Some people want hand-holding or they want me to answer their, their videos at 8 a.m. because they're in the gym at 7 a.m. That's not me. I have my systems. I have my structures. And so that means I'm not the right coach for them. You have to make sure that when you're looking for a coach, you first identify what it is you want from the coach. Do they do that? Do you actually talk to the coach? And is it going to be a structure or format that fits you? doesn't matter how they program. doesn't matter who they work with. It matters if it's going to fit your needs because you are the one hiring them. And if you don't make that a priority first and finding out they fit your needs, you're going to regret hiring them and you're going to get frustrated. One red flag just immediately that um, is if, let's say you're the lifter and you're inquiring about a coach and you message them and you say, hey, uh, I'm looking for a powerlifting coach. Can you give me a you know breakdown of your services or how much do you cost? And they're like, uh, oh, I charge now um, for powerlifting programming. When do you want to get started? They did not ask you a single question about yourself to even know if you two would make a good fit. So it can be annoying to have 14 or 15 questions to ask just for powerlifting programming. Like, I get it. I'm sure you open like mine is I think my um the one on my website is a little bit different than the one that like I have saved in my notes so depending on how you contact me um they're just like a tad bit different so I understand that it's probably pretty daunting to be like get this email from me and I'm like here's 15 in-depth questions please tell me your life story but like mm -hmm. that really is beneficial for me to know if I can even help you um because yeah. like Trevor mentioned not everyone is a good fit for the coach or for the athlete or whatever. I've had clients in the past before, um, my current client, Ivy, the first time that she reached out to me for coaching, she had an abundance of injuries, uh, restrictions, things like that. To the point where when I was reading it, I was like, you know, I don't know that I entirely feel comfortable because I'm not a clinician. I'm not a PT, none of these things. Like I, I know things and I can make re uh, references or I can refer you or I can, you know, have adjustments, but I'm not a PT or a clinician. So actually when I, when she first emailed me, I actually referred her to Tony Rogers and I was like, Hey, please contact him. He is a clinician. He is very, very intelligent. These things that you're dealing with, like these are things that he can help you improve upon, get rid of, you know, like manage your pain. Um, and he worked with her for, I think just shy of a year. Um, and then she like messaged me and she's like, you know, thank you for, uh, recommending me to Tony, like these issues have cleared up. I don't have any more pain, blah, 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 blah. I'd like to get started with you. And so I still work with her. And I think that was a year and a half ago or so. So in the, initially she was not the right, we were not the right fit for each other. She needed someone different. Um, there have been plenty of clients who have, you know, want these ridiculous kind of things where they like, you know, they're, they're trying to dictate to me exactly how their program should be written. And like, that's always a red flag to me as a coach, because if you're telling me how you want me to write your program. Um, that just tells me that you have a bias and that's what you want to do, but it may, may not be what you need. So, you know, like it is important to really, really have, it's important to have a coach that vets you out in the beginning, you know, like asks you questions. They want to know what your goals are. Like I always ask like your short, short term and long term goals, like, cause those help me realize, like those help me see one mentally where you think that you are versus where you could be. Um, Two, that also helps me know like what trajectory to push you in. Um, I need to know about your support system, like I said, your stress, uh, what things have worked for you in the past, like what kind of communication you want from me, because if it doesn't match with my communication style, like Trevor mentioned, if, if you want me to respond to your videos like on the drop of a dime all the time, it's probably not gonna work. Um, you know, I work from home and this is my full-time job, but like I go to the grocery store, I take Sophie to vet appointments. Like those are things that like I'm busy. I won't be able to answer videos immediately right then and there. I take time for my own training sessions. So if you're someone who wants like, you know, super immediate feedback on the spot, you're not going to get that from me. Uh, it'll be within, I mean, the most I go is like when I'm sleeping. So that's like eight or nine hours, you know, like you'll get feedback same day unless it's after my bedtime. But like, it's, it's just important to make sure the coach is actually hearing you and hearing what you have to say and listening to you and being like, yes, I can help you with those goals or 
showing you that they care about your goals. Like, first of all, like that's something really, really important um, to pay attention to. Obviously the little things of like how much they charge and like uh, how often they do updates or how often you can talk to them. Those are all going to be individual preferences for you. Like your budget is your budget. Um, you know, like those kind of things, but generally just making sure that the, the coach that you're choosing is listening to you. Also, seeing who else they coach currently do you like does that person seem happy does that person do they are they happy with their progress are they are you liking what they're doing um are you liking how they talk to their clients how they show off their clients or don't show off their clients or whatever like those kind of things are all really really important to look into um it's mostly just matching communication styles is really what it is so that's what it comes down to yeah, absolutely. You brought up such points, like different coaches have different communication styles, not just in the feedback, but there are coaches who will, you can only check in once a week and send me all your videos at once. And I don't, I don't like that because I don't want to give you eight different cues on nine different videos and expect you to remember any of them. You're going to retain one. So I like to segue them throughout the week. If you work out on Tuesday, send me your videos on Tuesday. If it's after my hours, you'll get, you'll get a response on Wednesday, but you're going to get a response on those help you in more of a real-time format than giving you eight cues and the likelihood that you remember any of them is, is gone because you've got two different things. So I, I am big on specificity of communication, which is something that's been very, very helpful with me with clients because if I go through that format where I'm giving them multi cues, I will actually go through so many videos when they send me five different exercises and forget what I saw on the first one <laughs> before the time I'm on the fifth one. So I like that for my sake and I like that for their sake. And, and like you said, you have the availability to, they can contact you pretty much daily and you're going to get back to them within that 24 hour period of some time or whatever you can. But there are coaches who are like, no, you can only contact me on Friday. And if you miss your check on Friday, you got to wait till next Friday. That's not me. So you want to make sure that's not your coach either, because if that's, that's how their system is, that's what you have to adhere to. If you're going to get upset with that, you shouldn't have hired them in the first place. Yeah. Um, it's also like, it's okay to ask questions and if you don't feel like you're a good fit with that coach it's okay to just be like you know thank you for your time um but i don't i think i'm gonna go in a different direction it's also fine to say that like you're not you don't have to sign up with a coach just because you inquired with them um just make sure that you're getting what you paid for like this is a service you you wouldn't i mean we've all had bad, bad haircuts but you like wouldn't go get your haircut and then like you know be like i want a bob and they'll be like you know what I don't think so. I think you're going to get a pixie cut. No, I said I wanted a bob. No, you're going to get a pixie cut. No, you're the one paying for it. Like you are going to, you're going to give me a goddamn bob. I'm not getting a pixie cut. No, like it's, you're, you're the one paying for the service. So it's okay to be specific. I can't relate to this analogy. I haven't had a bad haircut in 21 years. <laughs> I have fucked up my facial hair at least once a year though. So I guess I kind of get it. That's still my fault. <laughs> <laughs> all right on that note i think that's our hour that's a good session today uh, thank you guys for always asking questions we appreciate it thank you for sharing the podcast it gets dropped and downloaded every monday you can listen to it entirely if you didn't join us the entire session here thank you guys who follow and support and share the videos from culture nutra if you want programming but no coaching if you're not looking for coaching but just need a generalized program to follow there is the cultivating strength program it is a four-day week program it is available on Train Heroic. It's in Riley's bio and my bio and both of our link trees. You can check that out if you want to try it. Your first week is free, so go ahead and try it. Riley, do you have anything you want to add on top of that? It's spooky season. It's pumpkin season, but this is <laughs> spooky pumpkin season. I'm in heaven with all my snacks. <laughs> all right, well, thank you for joining me every Thursday. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And we will see you guys later. Have a good one. Bye.